they're full of shit. They're like, oh, woe is me. It's so hard being a cop. I get $140,000 and all these perks and, you know, people lick my ass or whatnot. It's just so hard because now we're getting a little bit of pushback because William wants us to wear our masks. You know, shut the fuck up. Hello and welcome to Here in L.A. Hollywood Edition. I can't believe it, but this is our final episode in Hollywood. And to wrap up our journey around it, we're going to end near where it all began. Today we are back talking with William G., the man who yells at the police. And we're back for, with him for a few reasons, mostly because there's been some major developments in his life. One of them, he was arrested near Long Beach, even though he was doing what the officer told him to do. We'll get into that. Also, his new campaign against cops who have illegal tints on their windows and missing license plates. We'll also talk about how LAPD Chief Michael Moore has changed his COVID mask policy for the worse due to William's knack of highlighting his bad apples and so much more. So please welcome back the very special William G. Hey, everybody. I am back with William G. How you doing, William? I'm doing all right. Uh, okay. Well, one of the adventures that I saw you do in the daytime, mm -hmm. which seemed a little bit out of your jurisdiction, mm -hmm. not really, I mean, but out of your typical neighborhood was when you got arrested. Which time? Oh, and You've been arrested more than once since we last talked? No. Yeah, actually, yeah. One time since we last talked. Just the one. Just the one. So time. I saw that one, mm -hmm. which was, uh, where was that? That's in Harbor City, in Lamita McCoy. It's an encampment that they were doing a sweep at. Just went there to document. Anytime I see police activity, I'm, I go to document it. But Harbor isn't that Long Beach? It's close to it. That's kind of a trek. Um, actually, I was headed to Long Beach, so I stopped there on the way just to see what was going on. I knew there were some journalists there, so I just went to see what was going on and Next thing you know, I'm in handcuffs. That was that was a fascinating turn of events that happened because <laughs> you, and it, you, you, you can hear him chuckling a little bit, but you were smiling more than I've seen you ever smile. Did you like being arrested? I mean, it was just stupid. It was an unforced error on his part. Here's the thing. If you're going to tell me I have one minute to leave and then six, seven seconds later, you're putting the handcuffs on me. Well, you fucked up. As you're on the way. Listen, we were leaving. Right. Like, he didn't like hearing what I had to say. I had taped him maskless, and I was kind of making fun of him, saying, hey, you know, I saw you maskless earlier. Because he was he was trying to duck down in the seat in his car, so I couldn't see him. And it was just so silly. I'm like, just, you know. And so I was doing a little bit of jabbing him with that, and he didn't like it. He started getting really red-faced, and he couldn't make up his mind on what he, which way he wanted us to go. But we were moving. We were literally walking away. You have to understand, one person there had a torn like patellar tendon on crutches. We could only move, but so fast. And he just got flustered and lost his cool and just, yeah, arrested us and threw my phone. It's just silliness. And you know what? That's fine. I'm going to make an example out of his ass because that's what he's going to get. And he did it with, when three people are videoing it. So like I, I had better camera angles as a viewer. I don't, I don't even think he saw any of that. I think the guy was so flustered and in his feelings and lost his cool that he wasn't even thinking at that point. 
But feelings about what? Oh. What is there to be, have feelings about? You guys were there to witness uh, homeless people getting tossed out, right? Yeah. And they were there to protect those people who were doing that. He was flustered because he had come back from lunch. We had worked out a deal with the sanitation to stand where we were, way out of the way. We were in, we were a hundred yards away from where things are going on, and he didn't like us being there. He went up to the sanitation lady and tried to talk her into having us removed. We had all this on tape, um, and he just lost his cool. And you know, type of person you want having a gun, right? Well, not only that, isn't he a training officer? Yeah, he's a, he was a P3 plus one. So his job is to train other officers. And he was the ranking officer out that, there that day. I know the next time I, when I went back there, he was not the ranking officer out there. That There were at least two others that ranked higher than him and two others that were of equal rank. And his ass stayed far away from the journalists and everybody else out there. It looked like just kind of a dusty lot. Was this a public? It's actually a street, it's, right? So oh, really? An so unpaved street? Technically, yeah, it's a technically an unpaved street. It's been an encampment there forever. I guess they had been across the street at like some like a reserve or something. The sheriffs had kicked them out of there. They had been staying on this street, and uh, we were just there to observe it. I, at the end of the day, we should be able to have some sort of sight line of what's going on. Uh, whatever you may think about or whatever your views are encampments, there's a story there. We want to make sure we document it. Right. And, and so they can't say that you were trespassing. No, we were on a public street. Right. And you, because I heard you talk to the sanitation woman, mm -hmm. who also seemed a bit flustered. Uh, they got a hard job to do. And, and maybe they're not used to being filmed the way that... that... There they are. Oh, are they? Yeah, I'm sure. The If you're coming to that encampment, you're used to being filmed. Same way if you're coming to, say, in Venice. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, she's a little used to it. But, but what, I, what I thought was interesting about your conversation is it truly was a negotiation. She, at first, didn't tell you where to go. Just you had to leave. And then you gave her some options. Yeah. And she agreed to one of the options. Yeah. And it looked like you guys were going to do that. We were standing right there out of the way from everybody. A hundred yards away? No, okay. Let's say, I mean, look, listen, some of the areas that they were going to work on were literally a hundred yards away. So it stretched from, say, 20 to a hundred yards. It was like an 80-yard area. It's not safe. Please don't put your hands on me, Lopez. Can I ever stop? Don't put your hands on me again, Lopez. Lopez, don't put your hands on me. Let's go. Don't put your hands on me. If you don't leave right now, the next minute. Oh, you can't I'll even make up your mind. Shut up. Is that a threat? Be quiet. You gonna put your hands on somebody? Look, okay. cover your nose. We're done. Co I, she's I, walking I, away. No. She's walking away. We're done. She's walking away. You just arrested a woman for walking away. She's walking away. I'm walking away. I'm walking away. I ask you this. I'm walking away. I'm walking away. I'm walking away. So first he arrests the young lady. Was the young lady the one with the crutches? No, she wasn't. She was carrying she was carrying a handful of supplies, like garbage bags and stuff to help the unhoused, you know, pack their stuff and clean up and um she was just walking away and he I thought it was funny because he she had her back turned to him and he had a choice. You know, I was the one with the mouth she wasn't saying anything. She was walking away. I was facing him. He had a choice. He could have grabbed me or grabbed her. He chose her. He went and ran up on a, behind this young lady and grabbed her arms from behind. You were like, 
She's walking away. She's walking away. And then when he arrests you, you're like, I'm walking well, away. Well, it was funny because my, my, I got to tell you, <laughs> initially what I was thinking is, like I was taping him, I had my hand up in the air so he couldn't grab my phone, but I was kind of keeping him at bay. It was hysterical. I felt like he's shorter. Yeah, I felt like putting my hand on his forehead and just, <laughs> just hold him there. And then at one point, I just felt like just throwing him with one hand, but I was like, eh, I'll get arrested for that. I'm but so that was a natural urge. The funny part is he took my phone, right? I had stopped recording. I guess I hadn't locked my phone. He threw my phone. And when another officer came to pick it up, a one in a million chance, when he picked it up by accident, he hit record again and then put the phone in my pocket. So I captured the conversation for the next 10 minutes after wow. that. So that's a violation of May 14th, 2000 order. Oh, I, I appreciate myself too. What you're going to show on videotape is somebody retreating, leaving, and you making arrest. You know, you can't just violate the law. I didn't violate anything. Well, I refused to leave. I didn't refuse to leave. I actually left. I like was over there, yeah. and he arrested me at this point. You're telling me that's not leaving? That, I, I don't that's, think that's, leaving that's, that's 100 feet. I was. Okay. okay, you can take it up with the judge, okay? I don't care. I'm okay. Oh, I have everything taken. So uh, what happened once you got arrested? Did you go to the jail? Did they book you? Did they fingerprint you? Is there a no, mugshot? No, they filled out a little piece of paperwork and handed There's not a William G. mugshot? Uncuffed me and then said we had to go on the other side of the line. No, it was, I was over in within a few minutes. Oh, so you, they never drove you anywhere? No. It all went down right there. They right cited there. you? Yeah. Okay. Cited me with a misdemeanor charge or whatever it is. And it's just... All three of you they cited? All three. Okay. A journalist and an activist and myself. Okay. Which brings up a good question. Uh, there was a officer on Twitter mm -hmm. who said, honest question. What is, who is a journalist? How do we determine? Oh, this? that's just not an officer. That's the new commanding officer over here at Hollywood station who took over for captain Laurie. Is it? Yeah, captain Laurie is now over, uh, in, uh, risk management. You know, that doesn't sound like much of a promotion, does it? I don't even know what that is. I know. I have my thoughts on that. It sounds like the type of position you go to and you don't really move on forward from there. So I have, technically he got a promotion, but is it really? And so this is the guy who took over for Captain Laurie. So he's asking, you know, who is a journalist? And I have a very clear answer. It's not for them to decide. It's not for the right. LAPD to decide who a journalist is or isn't. First off, if they have credentials, that's good enough. But you don't need credentials. I would, I would argue that I have documented the LAPD better than just about anybody recently without any sort of credentials. I'm not saying I'm a journalist. I would say I'm probably more of an, I'm just a guy who's just trying to make a little bit of change with the cops, but I don't think it's for the cops to decide. Maybe it is a real conversation we do need to have, but again, they should stay out of it. Do, do you want to be known as a journalist? No, I just, I'm just doing my thing. You know, I know. I mean, listen. I will go and get credentialed if need be, just so I can have access to say LAPD press conference at officer involved officer involved shootings. But uh, listen, I'm just doing. I'm not going to stop voicing my opinion. But at the same time, when I when I report on things, tell my stories, I'm being intellectually honest. I may have my own views, but I don't go out there and misrepresent anything knowingly. One of the things that we talked about previously was you organizing these tweets and these reports that you have 
on a website like Medium, somewhere like that. Mm -hmm. Would you also then publish the commendations that you've had for officers on there as well? It's interesting. I never thought about it, but I would. I have no problem only, with that. Only because part of Listen, being... Listen, I'll be honest with you, right? Me giving an officer a, an accommodation may piss off a few people here and there. You know, some... But at the same oh, time... People who don't like cops. Yeah, but at the same time, it would actually... It, it'll show that I'm not completely biased. That I'm not one-sided in this. That, uh, you know, I look for good things in, in cops. I just don't see a ton of it. I don't. It's not what I'm seeing. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems to me that you are saying we need the police, but we need the police to actually do the correct job and not be hypocritical. Don't have tints on your window as you drive into work. And then when once you're at work, bust kids for having tints on their window. Do we need to make sure that police follow the rules that there are entrusted to enforce on us then we need to prioritize how we're spending our discretionary budget if you for me half of our money going to the LAPD it, discretionary money going to the LAPD while neglecting other services is not helpful um, I think we need to start focusing on preventative means I'm not utopian and think that you can just eliminate all crime with some sort of program. It's not realistic. Um, but I do know that tons of programs are either underfunded or just not funded at all that can't launch because of that. At the same time, when we're walking at, you know, I walk down the street and we're seeing four horse cops getting paid $140,000, $150,000 a year to do a whole lot of nothing except harass certain groups of people. And then you're going to say, well, we don't have enough money to put qualified people on the street. Well, look at that guy right there. Look at that horse cop right there. Get rid of him. Put it, Get him off that fucking horse and put him on the street. They're serving no purpose. It's the stupidest thing. Did you hear my interview with uh, William C? I didn't. I read it. He agreed on you on, a, on, I think, almost everything. In fact, he said, I wish I wish he would meet me because I'm the kind of cop that he would like. You want my uh, you want my card? I've already got my card ready for you, which I, I got to ask you this about cards that I, I forgot to ask him. Why do they have to write down the stuff on their card if they're making a hundred grand? If the, if the department has billions of dollars... And they can't come up with individualized business cards. I, I, nobody writes their name on a card. I know. Except for the police. It's ridiculous. Here's what I would say. The only defense, if you look at the front... I think I have a card. I just got, I just got a card an hour ago. Let me see if I have one in my pocket. I might. The cards has two parts. So the, first, the front part will list their last name that they have to write down and their serial number that they write down. So you say to yourself, well, why don't they have individualized cards? And it's because on the back of the card, they're required to put the reason that the card was requested or just some basic information about the stop itself. So the one that I got today said that the citizen had requested a card and it was over a 415 incident. It just seems, it just seems it's, I know. shady. Listen, right? there are officers who I've seen out there who have their own business cards. Right. Who just, you know, I'm sure they print them up themselves. Yeah. 
Uh, it's a lot easier to save time than having to fill it out and ask their partner because they have to give their partner's serial number on there also. Since I brought up uh, tints and plates, let's talk about that. Yeah, it's a real pet peeve of mine, too. Uh, listen, it's infuriating. Uh, for the longest time, what I have noticed is the number one reason why Hollywood cops, or really any LAPD cop, will pull somebody over, and a black person over, and handcuff them, and then search the car, was because either missing plates or tinted windows. And, you know, I, first off, I've had talks with cops about this. I say, okay, what gives you the right to search a car just because they have a missing plate? I have asked regular cops this, and I have asked sergeants this. And they have said because it's most, it often comes back to being a stolen car if it has missing plates. And by the way, when you, when you talk about missing plates, you mean front plates. I mean, meaning just, listen... Any missing plate, just a front plate or both? Because I would think that if a guy has a missing front plate, he's not a, cro a crook necessarily. If he has no plates, then sure, my suspicion is, is up. Am, am, am I being naive? Uh, I mean, listen, here's what I would say. Off the top of my head, I have, I have filmed probably 40 or 50 stops involving missing plates, either front or back. I have never seen somebody arrested for a, for a stolen car that had missing plates. The stolen cars come back because they run the license plate and they see that it's stolen and they send in, you know, 10 cop cars, a supervisor and a helicopter. But I have never seen somebody actually arrested for having a stolen car that actually had missing plates, but they seem to use that as a justification. But here's the biggest thing, right? So you have felonies, you have misdemeanors, these are infractions. A missing plate is a, an infraction, okay? So it's not a crime, okay? It's a vehicle code violation. It's a fix-it ticket. It's a fix-it ticket. What it isn't is probable cause of a crime to give them an excuse to go in and search the car. Missing a plate does not give an officer probable cause to search their car. Why? Because it's not. It's an infraction. It's not a misdemeanor. So, um... so these, these, these searches... They're illegal. They're pulling them over for a missing plate and they're searching the car. They're handcuffing and searching off of that. It's illegal and they don't know it. So I'm, I'm in handcuffs. I'm a scared 20 year old kid. Mm -hmm. I just bought a Camaro SS and mm -hmm. it looks great without that front license plate. Mm -hmm. It looks bad ass. Mm -hmm. I get, I'm in handcuffs. Mm -hmm. And the police officer says, I'm going to search your car. Is that okay? A lot of times. All of a sudden, but I'm saying that makes it legal though, right? No, if, if he gives the permission. Right. So if you, you provide consent. Yes. So there's a, there's a few things. First off, the search, they, I, they need to have probable cause of a crime. So there needs to be something in plain view. They could even say marijuana because technically it'd be a misdemeanor because it's not in the trunk of the car or whatever. A knife, a gun, an open container of alcohol, something like that. If there's nothing in, in plain view, then there has to be one of two other reasons. Either they have to give consent to the search or they have to be on like parole or probation. Other than that, they have no right to search that car. Again, having a missing front plate or both plates, a vehicle code 5200 violation, 
is not probable cause of a crime to search. It's not. So, so again, if I'm pulled over for this mm -hmm. or anybody out there is pulled mm -hmm. over for this, do not give consent for that. Don't give consent for any reason. Ever. I mean, unless, unless you feel like, you know what, they're really going to draw this out for an hour and I have to be somewhere in 10 minutes and I know that everything's clean or whatever, then you have to make a judgment call. But what I'm saying is I recommend not giving consent ever for what? You don't have to. And honestly, I've seen people refuse to. And you know what they did? They say, okay, go ahead. Go about your business. So, you know, then again, that's also with me there filming. Who knows what would have happened if it was 2 o'clock in the morning and they're by themselves. Okay, so the, I'm glad we got that cleared up. Mm -hmm. So that is if, if, if the officer asks for consent, blah, blah, blah. But if they pull you over, handcuff you, and just search your car mm -hmm. off of that, you're saying that's not kosher. They have to have probable cause of a crime. They ha I, listen, I was over on Adams in Normandy a week ago, and they pulled some kids over right behind me. I thought I was being pulled over. I jump out. I start filming. Uh, they have their guns pulled. They order them out. They tell them to get against the wall, put their hands against the wall. One cop comes over to them. The other cop has his gun unholstered and was searching in the car. Come over. They put one kid in handcuffs. Then they begin searching the car for real, uh, an in-depth search. Eventually, they ended up re releasing him. The reason they pulled him over is because they said they got a call that he was driving erratically. Now, this is Friday at like a four o'clock in the afternoon. If somebody calls in an Adams Normandy district saying, hey, there's somebody driving erratically, that cop is not going to respond to that call for another two hours because there's a million other things to focus on. But this guy had just gotten off the freeway a block before. You're trying to tell me it, within a block... And I was driving behind him because I got off the freeway after him and none of this happened. It was all bullshit. This was just a story a cop made up. Oh, we got to call you were driving erratically. Okay, so what does that have to do with the search? Why did you search their car? And I, one of the kids, he asked if I can call his mother while he's in the backseat of the car. I said, can you call my mom? I called his mother and she's like, yeah, they do this to him all the time. By the way, you are now transporting people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, somebody will be... Um pulled over, mm -hmm. they are found to not be able to drive because either a license is expired or they didn't have a license. Mm -hmm. And after the police do their thing mm -hmm. uh, and the car would typically be towed, mm -hmm. you jump in and say, hey, do you mind if I drive them home? Yeah, I mean, some, most of the time. Most of the time. Um, if they're saying, hey, you know, you're drunk or whatever and, you, you know, you can't drive it home. We're going to let you go, but we're going to tow the car. You know, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of drunk drivers, so I'm not going to stick my neck out for them, nor do I want to be stuck in a car with a drunk driving them around. But if it's just some kids and they have a, a suspended license, uh, uh, the, an expired license, or just never had a license or whatnot, after the towing and then the impounding fees and all that, hundreds and thousands, hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars, it's just the LAPD offers a courtesy where if you can have somebody there within 15 minutes who has a valid license, they can. They don't have to. It's up to the officer to decide they can give you the courtesy of allowing the car to be driven away. So if I'm on a scene and I'm, you know, I don't, I don't want to see these kids just get hammered with all these fees and have to go through all that. If I can, I'll, I'll drive them away. I think that's fantastic what you're doing. So one of the things, one of the times that you did this, you dropped them off near the tent. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, what happened is they said they needed to get to the freeway, and they didn't really know how to get around. They just knew how to get to knew the 10. I was going to take them to the 101 at sunset, you know, sunset of the 101. And then I knew from there, I just hop on a scooter and just take the scooter home. Yeah. So it's easy. Um, but they're like, oh, can, you know, they didn't know how to go. They, they needed to get to the 10 at La Brea. So I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'll just take you over there and drop them off there at the 10. And there was another stop going on right there as I... It, right. It was a highway but, patrol. But, but so did you take an Uber home? How'd you get home? I jogged home. You just ran. <laughs> well, I, you, you, it, it, was, it was funny because I was getting ready. When all that happened, right, I was preparing. I like running in the middle of the night. I'm a nighttime runner. So I was getting ready to go jogging. I wasn't dressed for it. <laughs> I heard there, I was walking around a block. I went to go get something to drink and I saw a stop two blocks from my house. So I, that all went down. And then I'm at the, one, at the 10, I'm realizing my, one of my phones is at 1%, the other one's at 5%. I'm like, I can order Uber, but it's like, it's probably going to die and I'm not going to know which one. So I'm like, you know what, let me just run. Because it's only like two miles. It's not the longest run in the world. Look at you. Were you wearing the cool Nikes? Like, were uh, you in a house coat? What? what? You're, I was wearing pretty much what I'm wearing right now, like some sweatpants <laughs> and some some regular well, sneakers. Well, hey, I, I only have to sew you up a cape because that is. I, are these people appreciative when they when yeah, you do this for them? Always. Do you give them like uh, uh, the, a talk? Do, um, do do you do you talk to them yeah, while you're driving them home? Yeah. Are you giving them advice? Yeah. I, I, on that one, it was a little emotional. It was like my son had just died, and these kids were roughly the same age. So for me, it was like it was it was helpful to me. I, so it's like it, I might have been helping them, but it just felt like I don't know. It was it helped me deal with it. Well, since since you brought it up, I mean, we I wanted to talk to you about this anyways because this was such a roller coaster of events. And the way that you handled yourself on Twitter, again, is very admir admirable because you kept it as real as I've ever seen. Um, and you are continually keeping it real. From what I heard and read, your son was in Long Beach standing outside. Mm -mm. This is in... My son had... What's your son's name? Marcellus. Um, 22 years old. Yeah, 22. Uh, he was going to, he was, he had moved from Inglewood to Signal Hill in Long Beach. He was going over to pick up his stuff in Inglewood, some of his stuff. Um, and then he got a phone call. He couldn't, it had, he had to have it done the next day. So he said he had to go over to Watts because somebody asked him to come over there for something. Um, when he got over there, he got out of the car and the girl who told him to, that she wanted to meet him just didn't come downstairs immediately and she didn't know what was going on. My son's girlfriend was in the car waiting and then all of a sudden a car pulled up and three people jumped out with masks on and shot him a lot. Wow. So this happened in Watts. And um, your reaction on Twitter was vengeance. You said on Twitter, I'm going to get a bunch of guns and I'm going to go and I'm going to shoot it all up. And what, which is totally understandable. 
Um, you're a very emotional man. You loved your son, and you were close to him. And not close enough. I have regrets about that. Do you? Yeah. But but through that night, you realized that you've got two sons. One of them is kind of the peace and love person, and the other one is is more like you, I guess. And I'm peace and love too. <laughs> I, you know, outside of like cop watching, like first off, none of my neighbors know I cop watch, and everybody just thinks I'm this, the nicest guy. William's a guy you come to, you need help with anything. You need your dog watch for a week or whatever. You're locked out of your apartment, you need somebody to climb up to the second floor. Like, I'm not a screaming type of person. That's a thing I've taken on with the cops because it just needed to be. But, um, so am I, obviously, I'm rephrasing your tweet wrong because. That's how I heard it. Um, you had two sons. One is more of a peaceful one. one Marcellus was just the sweetest fucking kid. Just, I mean, don't be wrong. No, you are right. Because then I, my oldest son is more like me. He's more confrontational. You know, I'm a, I'm a fairly big guy. That's a big kid right there. The kid's huge. He'd kick my ass. <laughs> Um, but but it was such it was such a a real and surprising tweet from you yeah. because you said the sweet kid is the one who died and to respect him I'm not going to act a fool tonight. Yeah, I still struggle with that though. You know, I'll be honest with you. I was driving earlier and I was thinking, you know, every once in a while I have those thoughts. I just want to go get revenge. And the, and the other side of that, or the other part of that, that you mentioned on Twitter, which was also so great, was you said, no amount of police right now could stop me. Yeah. If a man wants to kill somebody, yeah, he's going to figure out Listen, how to do it. That's my general argument. They say we need more money. They say that homicides have gone up since COVID and that we need more money to help fight for violent crime, uh, fight violent crime. So not just homicides, but also just gun violence. I started doing the math on that. I said, you know what? Okay, this is the 77th precinct where he was killed at. If we add a million dollars to their budget, individual budget, that would put about one extra patrol car on the street during all the shifts. I don't know the size of the area. Maybe it's 40 blocks by 40 blocks. You know, if you add one extra patrol car, if I was coming over there to kill somebody and there's just one extra patrol car in the area. So in, 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 instead of a police car driving by once an hour, it drives by every 54 minutes. Is that going to stop me from going to kill somebody I want to kill? No, there's no amount of, I mean, listen, what, at a certain point you start getting diminishing returns with just adding money to resources because it takes resources away from other things. Let's talk about, we want to talk about homicidal. The most frustrating thing for me during that period was the fact that my son was at the coroner's office for over three weeks. So that means for three weeks, I couldn't have services. And you can't, I'm going to tell you, you, you know, you, you never, there's no closure to this, right? It gets worse every day for me, not better. But there is no worse agony than when your child is sitting there in a coroner's office and you just, you know, you don't know how to deal with that. You're just hurt. You just want him out of there. 
but they're there for three weeks, three and a half weeks. A lot of that has to do with COVID, right? They're backed up from COVID. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're underfunded. So they're underfunded. And because of that, it backs up the whole process and the grieving process. And during that time, you're building up all these frustrations. And I'm telling you, there were a number of times during those three weeks, maybe it was a half an hour a day or an hour a day where I was thinking, I'm going to go fucking kill him. You know, I have an idea of who set him up. We all know who set him up. We don't know who the shooters are. We know who set him up. Do I want to go get retribution? You know, I, I talk myself out of that constantly. But when your son is in a fucking morgue and just sitting there and these people are living their lives, you're frustrated. I wanted some retribution. So if, you know... At that time, adding more cops to the street wasn't going to help. Adding resources to the coroner's office to help speed up the process would have helped. That's one of a million things that could be done to, and, and I keep on talking about this. When there's a killing, especially in, let's be real about this, in South Central, it usually leads to some sort of retaliatory killing, okay? And it's a cascade. I was looking, I was talking about this not so long ago. I was looking at the data from your hometown, Chicago, some, I don't know who had conducted the study, but they looked at how one shooting had led to 64 other shootings over the course of six years. So listen, if you want to stop the cascade of shootings after an incident like this, because listen, when you're in South Central and you're in a gang or something like that and somebody gets killed and then what you what what happens those gang members they don't have any family they don't have any friends the gang is their family and they're hurt because their gang member the 17 year old gang member just got shot so what do they want to do they want to go get retaliation and the thought of having another police car on the street is not going to stop them the thought of going to jail isn't going to stop them they're not saying you know oh if i get pulled or i'm pulled over i might get a year in jail or if, two years in jail for this gun. So no, I'm not going to go commit this murder now. None of that makes sense. So yeah, I think it comes down to resources. Again, I give you one example with the coroner's office. I can give you a million other examples of how resources could be used better than to just keep on flooding the police department with money. Well, maybe one of them is more detectives because you oh, God, were criticizing how the detectives were handling I think this. about this every day. So here's the deal. The next morning, I get a text message or I get a phone call from an unknown number. Then I get a text message and it's Detective Castillo saying, sir, uh, please contact me at this number or whatever. I call her. She says she's so sorry for my loss. She's going to do everything she can to get justice or whatever. And we're going to meet later on that day or, or definitely by tomorrow. But we're going to meet. I'm like, great. Didn't hear from her. Rest. Oh, no, I heard from her a little later, like an hour later. She calls me back. She said, sir, my police chief wants to know if he can give you a call. I said, sure, he can give me a call. I didn't hear from her the rest of the day. I was at a vigil for my son. I get a phone call. I didn't recognize the number. Text message from Michael Moore saying, you know, this is police chief. Uh, Michael Moore, blah, blah, blah. I call him back. He gives me, you know, condolences. The next day, the, the detective never got back to me. The following day, she texts me and she said, sir, what is your cell phone's number? Your son's cell phone number. We're, to, we're two days, 48 hours into this. And we, everybody feels that he has been set up and you are now asking for his cell phone number. You have his cell phone, but you're asking for his cell phone number. I gave him a cell phone number. 
didn't hear from her the next day, didn't hear from her the next day, or the next day, or the next day, or the next day. And after a week, I was like, enough of this. I'm going to go up there to talk to her. I went there, got to the station. She's again, sorry for my loss, whatever. And then she said, do you happen to know your, the passcode to your son's phone? You know, it's a little frustrating. We're a week into this and you, I'm thinking by now you're into his phone. I've seen enough of these shows like First 48 where they say it's crucial to have, you know, solid evidence within the first couple of, evidence is being destroyed. People are getting their stories together. And here we are a week later and you're now asking for the passcode to his phone. So you're not even in his phone yet. And so I really went off on her and I went and I called, I didn't hear from her again for two weeks. And then I finally called. I said, you know, what's an update? I called. I never got responses. Finally, after two weeks, I get her on the phone and she said, oh, yeah, well, I can't give you an update. You know, we're working on it, but we can't really say anything at this time. And I said to her, you know, but why did it take you a week to ask for his passcode? It seems, you know, really ridiculous. And I'm like, and how come you don't give me any updates? How come you have never called me? Nothing. She said, sir, you said that if, uh, to only call your brother. I said, I did not say that. I said, if you have anything graphic to tell me, please tell that to my brother. I can't have those thoughts in my head for the rest of the life. But to not call me? Oh, well, you know, you said to call your, your brother. Well, you never called him either. So why are you even distracting with that argument that you said to call my brother, but you never called him? So it's just, what are you guys doing? I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm deeply, I have no, I have absolutely no faith. Listen, I have watched cops for a long time. I haven't had a chance to study many detectives, but I watch cops on the street. I was watching this afternoon and their arguments when they, when they argue, it don't make sense. They're not very bright. And then I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to hold out hope that we have like a really good detective on this case. And I don't see it. Like I'm so unimpressed by this. And, and I have not heard from her since then. One of the things that you posed on Twitter was, did a cop do it? Or, I wonder. Or did a, a, a fan of the cop a fan, do it? A, a fanboy. I call them police supremacists. You know, the, the, the type that just idolized cops on, on an unhealthy level. Are you beyond that? No. You think that's still possible? I think it's very possible. So if you were going to go down there and shoot up people... Who are you going to shoot up? At the time, I was going to... Listen, I know somebody placed a phone call that had him come there. Have you talked to this person no. yet? No. No, I'm letting the police do their business. I'm not going to interfere with it for right now because I don't want to like ruin the investigation if they do have something. I'm trying to give them a little bit of space to get this done. I, I told Michael Moore, I'm going to give you guys space on this. But you know what? When you're not even... When you aren't giving me anything, even a courtesy of, hey, Mr. Good, you know, we're working hard on your case. You know, we can't give you much right now, but I'm just checking in to let you know. Just that works. But to get nothing. And then when then she told me when I was saying to her, I'm like, you, you didn't even check his passcode for a week. And she was threatening to hang up on me if I'm going to talk to her rude like that. Listen, she had used a phrase that she used improperly. It was just she, it didn't make sense. And I said, that doesn't make sense. And she got very offended by that. It, it, <laughs> speaking of offended, speaking mm. of rude, why are cops always so surprised when people have emotions around them, especially grieving fathers? Why? Why? I don't think. It, why, do, why do their emotions matter and yours don't? I agree. With that having been said, I can get over that. Right? I can get over that. You don't want to take my emotions into account. That's fine. 
I wasn't showing emotion. I was making a, a, an intellectual case. And she was, she, she's the one who got emotional about it. She didn't like what I was saying. But if you, listen, cops have a tendency, and I've told you this before, to just say anything to get, to get out of that situation. You know, it's like if you call a customer service rep, it's like calling GoDaddy. You try to get, it, try to get some information of why the, why the site is slow, and they'll give you any excuse just to get you off the phone. And, and anything. Well, the cops have a tendency to just, they're so used to having that one-sided relationship where they're used to not being questioned, they question. They are not used to ever being questioned. When you flip that dynamic on them and when you start questioning them, they do not know how to handle it. And their reaction is for, they get emotional and upset. And I've, listen, I do that all the time. I did it this afternoon with the cops. It's just they're not used to having questions posed to them, especially when what they're saying makes no sense. And what they, that's often the case. What they say doesn't make sense. Did this detective uh, reach out to your son's no. girlfriend? Um, yes. One Cause, time. Cause One would, time. Because I would think she would probably have way more there. information than you do. She was there. She was there. She had, she interviewed the girlfriend the same day I went up to the station. So many days later? A week later. A week later. Wow. I mean, am I wrong not to have any hope that they're going to... Listen, I mean... Have you given up hope on the detectives? I have... Here's what gives me hope. There are three shooters. People who do crime together, especially, I'd assume, they're a young age, not... I'm not going to say maybe not very educated. Um, they're going to, they have a tendency to find themselves in committing another crime. If they get caught, are they going to tell? That's my hope. That's probably my hope at this point. Mm -hmm. um, that the fact that there were three people involved and not one, it, it's hard to keep three people quiet permanently, especially if they're in, listen, if that's their lifestyle, if they're going around shooting people, and they're probably in a gang. And nobody knows if he was targeted for jealousy or if it was a misunderstanding or whatever it is, if it was truly a setup. But those people have a tendency, they're probably going to commit some sort of other crime and find themselves in, in, in you know, being questioned and possibly being cut a deal. Another thing that gives me hope is, I mean, listen, not hope. This is, sounds... Listen, it was, it's a high-profile crime. But there was a little girl who was shot. An eight-year-old girl. Like, you guys should be busting your ass because an eight-year-old girl was shot. I don't care if you want to work for me because it worked to get my son's case because you're pissed off at me. But there's a little girl shot. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And why are my son's friends going to the scene the next day and finding bullet casings? Listen, I know there were 40 shots shot. Right, and I know there are a lot of casings, and you might have missed one or two, but you shouldn't miss one or two. You know, this is—we're paying these people a lot of money. And this is world-class, you know, police force. Well, and and if there's going to be eight cops on a tinted window call, yeah, are aren't there eight cops on a murder? And <laughs> and and let's pretend that there's eighteen. There should never be a casing unaccounted exactly. for. Exactly. I'm sorry. And they can, they, maybe they'll say, you know what? It was probably from another shooting or whatever. It doesn't matter. If there's a casing there, there's a... So, so you blew it twice is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. I mean, what are we doing here? 
But what is their clearance rate? I have no idea what the LAPD clearance rate is. I would imagine it's probably... I can't imagine... This, this is the rate of how many murders go unsolved? Yeah. Actually, when I say cleared, actually get prosecuted or solved or prosecuted. I would imagine... I have no idea where to begin with that. At the top of my head, I would probably say 30 40%, but I have no idea. Let's go back again to uh, motive. Yeah. Obviously, your son's not part of a gang. No. Uh, are any of his friends? No. So do you, when you say set up, well, did he, did he have anything my expensive son was also, on him? Um, was he driving an expensive car? No, he doesn't. He, no, he was with his girlfriend. So what would the setup be about then? You have longstanding beefs from, with kids from high school. He went to Poly High School. One of the kids who we think may be involved went to Lakewood. That kid is involved with a gang now. That kid has beef with him. My son put out music and he's on iTunes. You have whatever, fights over girls. You have a beef over small amount of money. You could have, it could be anything, any slight. And that's the problem. I mean, listen, I'll be honest with you right now. The data from what I understand is, and this is keeping it real, um, the data says the increase in the murders during COVID have been primarily centered around South LA, mm-hmm. right? That's where, the, where, that's where the bulk of the increase comes from. Mm-hmm. There's an endemic going on of black kids killing black kids over stupid shit. And, you know, I've seen recently, these guys are going around on like Instagram live shooting ki- people, mm-hmm. you know? I haven't seen that. They're doing stuff like that mm-hmm. to get clout. And when you have three kids letting off 40 bullets and 17 of them hitting my son. And you say, Marcellus isn't the type of kid that would ever warrant, you know, it's like, it's ridiculous. How much of this is just about gaining clout and let, yeah, let's, let's do it and let's do it big and whatever. Let's make a, you know, they're, they're trying to like outdo themselves with this. So again, there's an endemic in South LA of black kids killing black kids. That needs to be addressed. The... Some people say we need more cops. Listen, we added more cops for years and murders went up. All right, it's not working. There are other things that we should be focusing on to stop this cycle of violence. Also, just like what you were saying about your retaliation, your... your... You have to stop. That's essential. I, I can't stress that enough. If you want to prevent the next Marcells from getting murdered, you have to stop. You have to intervene early after the, the killing happens. And getting the people who are most likely to commit some sort of retaliation, the help they need. The most important thing that I went through is I had family and friends who calmed my ass down, right? Before I even, I got stuck. I was trying to get out of the parking lot and I kind of got lost in there. And I was just screaming. I mean, I didn't even know. I was screaming. I was, and my brother called me and he's like, just come back, just come back. And I'm like, no, I can't. He's like, just come back. And I did come back. I started talking to him. By that time, my son probably had like 20 friends out there, their families, and like they calmed me down. It put, you know, I started thinking about what, I know my son, he'd be like, dad, don't, just don't do that. So I calmed down. Um, And then after that, I had a lot of support. I had an enormous amount of support. I had support from family, friends, honestly, even people like on social media were super helpful. Um... I was thankful for the next day Kevin Rector had called me to do 
a story about it. And I know how these things go. You know, he was going to be this unnamed black murder suspect who, you know what, he's probably a Watts gang member and he probably was shooting people and he was probably doing this. And then within two days, nobody would know about him anymore. It would just be that. Instead, I got a chance to, you know, I got a chance to say this is Marcellus, you know, and he was a great kid and he was important to us and humanized him. And it was, that was important. And so for the first week after that, it was just a battle nonstop to just kind of just defend my son's honor and get his story out there. And I'm fortunate because quite honestly, if I wasn't the film, the police guy, if I was the 35 year old single mother with two kids in Compton and in, in, in the sixties over on gauge on East LA and they lost a kid that there would be no story. I'm very fortunate for that. And so I'm actually very quite devastated thinking that I went through this hell to, with getting this information from these cops, no information. I go through this hell with the coroner's office, putting pressure on them nonstop to try to get his body released quickly. I've gone through hell to try to get his story out there. And I have these resources. These single moms and single dads and grandmothers, they have no chance. that by inundating the system with as many complaints as you are, uh, you run the risk of almost becoming like the boy who cried wolf. Uh, not if they're sustained. I, I, if I inundate the system with obvious vehicle, like, you know, I, I can do right now three, four hundred license plate violations. I look in the discipline report and I see that that's been sustained. Sustained, no penalty, but sustained. So the option would be to either sustain them or if Chief Moore wants to throw them out again, it just kind of shows the process for the joke that it is. I I, I know that... That's, the, that's, exactly what I, that's exactly the point I'm trying to make when I see you run the risk of becoming like the boy who cried wolf. Well, no, because a sustained complaint is a sustained complaint. Well, when you, when you inundate the system the way you... It'll still be a sustained. I, if they want to be slow, if they, what I could do is I can slow down the process and show that it takes, say, you know, a missing license plate takes a year to investigate. That's fine with me too. It's really not a, a lose-lose situation. Well, let's talk about one of the rules that is a rule, not a law, but it's a, the rule of their boss, and that was the mask mandate. Oh. Oh. And, and uh, if you need, do you need to take a break? No, no. Okay. This is where I get pissed off. <laughs> it's you know, masks are a small thing, but they're a huge thing as far as I'm concerned. So I'm looking forward to. So one of the interesting things, again, William, you mm -hmm. are a gem of the city. You are a gem of uh, social media, and you're definitely a gem of somebody who wants to have an interesting podcast. So <laughs> I literally take my hat off to you. Uh, you secretly recorded mm -hmm. an LAPD officer. Mm -hmm. And it, please correct me if I'm wrong, because mm -hmm. I have been so far a couple times on this interview. You recorded a police officer saying that Michael Moore told the people they're not going to have these 
uh, complaints against them sustained. I didn't just record a police officer. I recorded the complaint supervisor explaining to me exactly what Michael Moore has done. So this isn't just some officer on the street. This is this is a supervisor that handles all these. This complaints. is the guy. Yeah. First of all, how did you get in touch with him? I've I've known. Okay, here's what I'd say. This is Sergeant Chow. I've known him. I've been dealing with him. How do you spell his last name? C H A O. Okay. Uh, I've been dealing with him since last summer. Uh, do you like this guy? I, I, honestly, I like him a lot. Good. I'm. I, I like. I, did you do I, him wrong by putting out this this recording? I would do him wrong if I put out the other 50 minutes of recording. <laughs> Point taken. I, 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 I taped a lot. Um, what I put out, I put out pertained to what he was saying to me in his official role. Well, good. So as far as I'm concerned, if he's explaining to me the reasoning about... Listen, I got complaints back. I filed complaints. It took them nearly a year they i come to find out they had been hiding them from me f since november they had been completed oh yeah these mass complaints had been completed back in november but they refused to release them to me they released them to me by accident it was an, i would not have one right now if they hadn't made one mistake they sent me a reply letter a final disposition letter where they said that what the a complaint that i filed has been found uh was not sustained uh, and it related to the earrings that the LAPD had lost of mine. And the LAPD had not lost any earrings of mine. I don't see any earrings on you. No, they, they screwed up. They sent me somebody else's final disposition letter. So I said, wait, what is this? Are you messing up? Is this somebody else's letter? And they said, oh, we mixed it up. We'll send you another one. But then I pressured them for a month to finally send it. And they said, fuck it, just send them a, a mass complaint letter. And it said that... You know, there are different levels of, of uh, handling complaints. If it is sustained, it's either sustained with um, termination, sustained with suspension, sustained with an official reprimand, sustained with admonishment, and then the final one is sustained but with no penalty at all. No paperwork, nothing. It's just sustained. They decided they're not even going to to do any of those. Michael Moore has determined that masks, lack of wearing masks or violating his May 14th mask order, which says every LAPD employee must wear masks both in public and around other LAPD PD employees. He's saying that that is not considered misconduct in any way. It's non-disciplinary. If they violated his mask order, they cannot get in trouble for it. They will not sustain a complaint for it because as he wrote in this specific reply letter that the officers could have done differently, not that they should have done differently, which means that you have to follow his rules. Could, could means optional. They could have warned, they could not, they didn't have to. So because of that, no officer on its, on its own complaint will get a sustained penalty for masklessness. I've got them going into cars with, with, with people they've arrested without their mask. Would you get into an Uber with, with a, a maskless Uber driver? Uber wouldn't let me drive as a, a maskless driver. Exactly. You get fired. If I, if I saw, got into a car with an Uber driver and he refused to put his mask on and I file a complaint, that guy is going to, or woman is going to be fired. Immediately. 
with these masks, these guys, these these cops, they do what they want. So let me ask you, you, you said uh, Michael Moore wrote this. Oh, yeah, this is... But to you? Yeah, I have the reply letter. I have the letter, it's, I'll pull it up right now if you want me to. So basically he's saying, I told... This my- is Michael Moore, official letterhead with him and, and this is the best part, with Captain Bixler over at the Hollywood police station. They've sent me a couple of these. This guy hasn't worked there for months, but... In other words, these were completed a long time ago, I see. and they've been sitting on. It. Listen, there's there's a story here. So, so hold on, so hold on. Yeah, I, I don't want to interrupt your story, but basically, what you're telling me is the LAPD chief of police yes. in May said you got to do this in May of 2020. He he sees that a lot of his he people- even wrote in that letter that supervisors have to handle complaints against maskless officers in the same way they handle all other words, other ones. He said this in May. Yeah, in the official letter. And, and, and so over time, he sees, I can't get these people in control. They're worse than ever. In fact, he, remember when he tweeted at me and said, because I, I put one of your tweets up there and I said, Chief, what's going on with these guys? And he's like, the majority of my guys no, they don't. Are, are doing it right. <laughs> Uh, and I'm like, it doesn't, I mean, look at the man's Twitter feed. Listen, He's- I'm one guy in Hollywood. Okay. And since last year, since I started filming maskless cops and I'm not talking about one second of film, I'm talking about watching them operate in public for minutes in people's faces, things like that. Since last July, I would imagine it's somewhere around seven to 800 incidents. So, so, so he's saying, you know what? William's right. My guys aren't doing this. I'm not enough of a leader to make them do it. No, no, he's lying to the... So every week he goes in front of the LAPD commission meeting, just like last week. And he said, they asked him, they said, hey, you know, why aren't you disciplining officers for this? And he says, because we are taking, I love this, progressive action to make sure that they comply with the mask rules. And it's funny, he said that. He said that last week, progressive action. So I've made it my personal little uh, project for the last week. I I said, okay, since that last LAPD commission meeting, let's see if I can take 50 cops without their masks on. I've done it. Right. I've done it. I did it in like five days. What do you think progressive action means? It means nothing. It means uh, here, here, here's what happened. Initially, the police union was dead against a mask mandate. Hmm. Michael Moore talked to them. And then all of a sudden, the union reversed course and said, yes, we're for the mask mandate. It is of my belief that Michael Moore and the union worked out a deal and said, okay, yes, we're going to mandate the masks, but I will not hold any individual cop accountable for any sort of masklessness. Just, just back me. Back me on this. Don't back me on me this. this. It's all for show. And I, 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 I'm positive this happened, all right? I don't have any documentation to prove it, but I, you look at the chain of events that happened, you know? Writing's on the wall. It's, it, it's very obvious what happened. As soon after that, I put them on, on the news for masklessness. There was a news report. Within six days, the Hollywood station invited the ABC out to go hand out masks to show that they're helping with masks. They, they put two people in charge of that, which were their spokespeople. Mm-hmm. These two cops I've caught without their masks on about <laughs> 50 times, of course. But 
they never intended to actually discipline an officer for this. Now, here's the thing. Here's the biggest thing, right? You're going to come to me and you're going to tell me, we need all this funding because we you know what? Last year we had 349 murders. That is an increase of murders and it is unacceptable. And it is 349 murders. Those are 349 people who were deaths that were preventable. Last year. Preventable? Listen. You just said yourself, if you wanted to kill somebody, you could. Yeah, but you know, intervention helped prevent that. That right? is true. Right? There so a, a non-preventable death would be something where you, you know, you get a sickness, so, you know. Okay. I hear what you're saying. You know, these I'm are, sorry. these are deaths that could have been avoided. Yes. There were also last year in Los Angeles, 12,500 people who died of COVID. 349 died of murder, 12,500 died of COVID. Those are preventable deaths too. Preventable with what? With the masks, a lot of time and distancing. And vaccines. And vaccines. Can we talk about the police? Well, I'll the- get there because I'll get there too. <laughs> because again, if we're concerned about trying to prevent the most number of deaths, I imagine the most important thing we can do is address COVID. And when the police force is refusing to address COVID and they're infecting themselves, that Hollywood station had over a hundred infections. That we know of. This was as of like February. Okay, and if you've ever been to that station, there's not a window; it's a bunker. It's, it's a hermetically sealed place, and it's you know it's just a, a great place to spread COVID. They don't wear masks inside the station. I know for a fact I was in there two days ago, taping them without their masks on. All the people that were there seeking police help had their masks on. Zero cops had their masks on, even as they watched me tape. As Michael Moore says, he's taking progressive action to make sure that his cops comply. You know, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to go to the most masked up station in LA. It's going to be Hollywood station because I've given them hell. That's what, and even there, they're terrible with it. So Michael Moore, he's saying that not only was he, can he not do anything about it because it's futile at this point. He hasn't done anything about it. I taped it. I've taped them not wearing masks. Why, why do you think he's soft on masks? I think he's soft on everything. He's, he's a terrible police chief. Like, okay, I think if you went around LA and asked somebody, hey, do you think Michael Moore is doing a good job and what is it? You're not going to find him. Here's what you'd find. 90% of the cops hate him. How come? They hate him. They think that he didn't stand up enough for them during the, the protests. Mm. They can't stand him. Because of that, he is now trying to like overdo it and protect his cops in any way. I told him, that I was going to file at least 400 mass complaints. Last year, there were 2,550 public complaints against LAPD officers, 2,550. Of those, only 96 were sustained, 3%. I figured here's LAPD policy, they have to wear masks. I've taped you without your masks on hundreds of times. You can't get out of this, therefore you're gonna have to sustain this complaint. And I'm going to make these numbers jump off the screen the following year when they look at how did we go from 96 sustained complaints to 500 sustained complaints in one year? And they're all coming from one station. What's going on here? I wanted to make a big deal about that. Michael Moore said, we're going to get around that by making it mask wearing non-disciplinary. So now all these mask complaints that he's throwing out of mind, they won't be listed in the data anywhere because that only lists Dis, uh, complaints that are sustained and have disciplinary action. These won't be sustained because they weren't, it wasn't disciplinary in the first place. So this email that he sent to you, uh, has it gone public? I posted on Twitter. Outside of that. 
Uh, has um, has any news organizations, media outlets? I will say that there are certain large news media organizations that have reached out to me lately that are planning to that are focusing very very heavily on the fact that Michael Moore isn't doing anything to discipline officers because he's trying to play word games to make it seem like he is, but he's not. And I think today when I was out there filming them. There's some basic stuff like they don't even know that there's a that they're required to wear them. So if he if Michael Moore is saying he's doing everything he can, but these individual officers are saying they didn't even know. Listen, Hollywood cops know. I was in Southwest. They didn't know. I told him, you know, only half of you are vaccinated. And he looked at me like, what? How, what? How do you know that? Because Michael Moore told me. Everybody seems to know that. Number. That's a yeah. He said it in front of the LAPD commission so, meeting. So let's talk about that real quick. Yeah. How come they're not getting vaccinated? Because they're not believers. If I go over to the if I go over to the Hollywood station right now, you'd be surprised at some of the bumper stickers you'll see. DeSantis 2024 bumper stickers. You know the the ideology. You know, um this one it's a cute play on like a QAnon license plate. Like this is the mentality. Understand the average cop is probably a, a 45-year-old white guy. Look at the demographics on that and then try to figure out what 45 to 50 year old white guy. That demographics, how do they, what is their usual ideology? How do they usually vote? So I'm older support. than that. I could probably outrun some of those guys. Yeah, some of them. Yeah. So, so these, these are anti maskers. They don't believe your in typical it. Trump supporters. Listen, if, if, if I'm going to, even, even though, even though Trump did get vaccinated, but, but uh, yeah, I know. Their followers aren't getting vaccinated. Yeah. Do they not see what's happening in Florida where right now, because of the Do they Delta, see what's happening in their own station? Listen, their infection rate is in LAPD is twice as high as everybody else in Los Angeles. It really? It really is. So this last woman, this black woman who died, yeah. do you know the, the circumstances around her and her COVID death? I have no idea. I don't either. Because when I, when I last spoke to a captain at Hollywood, they're like, well, those aren't really officers who died. <laughs> it's like, oh, what's the, the difference? Yeah. Well, no, the, I guess they'll probably say, oh, they're... Uh, detention officers or their uh, 911 texts, things like that. But uh, what, an, what a flippant, I mean, that says a lot about their mentality. Oh, it's not, listen, over a hundred people in that station have had it. Again, these are people who come in contact with dozens of people per day who are breathing in their faces. Now, again, we wear masks not to protect ourselves, but to protect other people, to keep aerosol from coming out of our throat and into other people's faces. When a cop isn't going to wear that, when they're around each other maskless in that bunker all the time, and they're in a high risk, higher risk situation, to then take, go out into the street and not show the citizens out here, the community members, respect by making sure they're not spreading some shit in our community, that's disrespectful. I'm worried about you with the Proud Boys. Huh. They have bear mace. Wow. You're not worried about bear mace? Cops have guns. I mean, <laughs> but I don't. I don't. You. You've. You've at least. Well, first of all, you've convinced me. The that cops' co friends have guns. I get followed there out there. Go. I'll leave a stop and I'll get followed. It just you know. I'm not. I'm not concerned about them. I'll be honest with you. There was a time before the election say October-ish, I used to have a lot of people, when I was filming the cops, there'd be somebody wearing a MAGA hat 
out there filming me, harassing me, following me home and stuff. That was a time to worry. I'm not worried about these guys now. I'm worried about what? What at the trans march? Yeah, I'm worried about I, because I, I think I think bear mace is bad. Oh. <laughs> I'm not trying to get bear mace. I don't want. Have you been mace. mace before? No. It doesn't look good. No, it doesn't. It doesn't seem good. I, I think you can. I don't think you can dodge a bullet, but. I mean, they had the guys that I was I was beefing with, right? Okay, so overall, they also have knives. I saw a guy with a knife at the at the trans thing. Yeah, I'm not re- I'm not really there to do a whole lot of protest now. I'm just there to document the police. Okay. I mean, I get in the mix with it. I get in the mix with things. Yeah. One guy wanted to fight me. One of the probably the most violent person there, and he recognized me. And he he just kind of he backed off. Well, uh, listen, uh, I've talked to him before. Let's put it that way, and. Like, I, you'd be surprised. I'm not as confrontational as a person you think. I'm generally looking for peace. That's my whole thing is like looking, trying to find solutions to like situations that can get out of control. That's my whole thing. When I go in on police stops, when I see the police all jacked up, I'm trying to calm them down. I'm trying to calm the kids down. That's, I'm trying to de-escalate. Everything I'm doing is about de-escalating. So I do a little bit of that there. Cop watchers are at, quote, all out war. Yeah. These fucking cops, they're coming after us right now. How so? Um, listen, for a long time, when I first started doing this, okay, I knew if the first complaint I filed, when I filed it, I, I hit send on email, and within five minutes, I had cops up and down my street with their lights off, just riding at one mile per hour. So I know that specific sergeant I sent that complaint to just said, hey, you know, send a text message, hey, go over here and fuck with them a little bit. Do I think they were coming to kill me? No, it was just to send a message to try to scare them off a little bit. I was never going to be scared off. That just pissed me off even more. You know, when I do, whenever they do that, I come back at them harder. But they, they fuck with me for a, a long time, follow me around, harass me, flash lights in my face, things like that. And then they stopped. At a certain point, they realized, you know, every time we piss him off, he's just going to come and just do some wild shit that's even harder. And, you know, and I'm not going to show a lot of discretion while doing it. I'll keep it legal. And I'll keep it just that, legal. And I'll use every other... Listen, I, I feel like this. I am one person taking on a 12,000-person force at times, right? I'm going to use anything I can and any guerrilla tactics possible to get it, to get some sort of change, to get my, my point across. So I went through that harassment for a long time and then they stopped because they realized, oh, this is not fucking worth it. You know, this, William, this is not Your worth it. Your followers are only getting bigger. It's not worth it. Also, listen, I, for as much screaming as you see on this, on, on video, I show cops a lot of respect. And they know that. They know I'm not going to come to a scene like some of these other cop watchers will come in and just blow it up and start screaming and yelling. I don't. I give them their space. I show respect, things like that, even when I know they fucked up and they're going to get written up. I will, unless they do something stupid, then I'm going to start screaming. But, but it sounds like you're saying that that wave died down for a died while. Died down until recently. Listen, recently, and it wasn't, it didn't start with me. It came with another cop watcher. He's been out there for a couple months, busting his ass, working hard. Um, he does things a little differently than me. Some of the things he does, he's, he's, t- he's shown me some really good ideas, some things that I have incorporated into what I do. Um, he was, he filmed the stop and he filed a complaint against these two cops. The next time he saw them was on another stop, maybe three weeks later, a month later. He filmed the stop. When the stop was over, he got into his car and he starts driving away down Hollywood Boulevard. The cops start following him. The same cops he, he filed the complaints on. They finally pull him over at Whit- Hollywood Boulevard at Whitley. They tell him to scream at him to get out of his car, throw him against the wall, handcuff him, 
handcuffed him so tight that the ambulance had to be called afterwards. Um, wrote him a ticket initially, said he was going 50 miles per hour down Hollywood Boulevard. Good luck, you know. It, it, you know. <laughs> then on the card, they said he was doing 45. They didn't actually um, document it. Any, they didn't have like a radar gun going. They were going by, I guess their... Cop tuition? Yeah, exactly. They gave him a ticket for illegal tints, but his tints were not illegal. He bought, he bought the car like literally two months ago from the dealership, factory stuff. They were legal tints, but they gave him a, a, a ticket for illegal tints. Gave him a ticket for, they said he didn't update his address on his license. It's like chicken shit stuff or whatever. Um, to do that after somebody filed a complaint on you and just, that's so blatant and disgusting on top of it to then they contacted DMV and said that his license should be re-examined. So now he has to go in front of DMV, go to DMV, have a hearing, probably have to hire a lawyer for it to see if he should keep his license. This is somebody who has never had a moving violation before in his life. So harassment, basically. It's, and it's so out and open and blatant. Listen, this is easily documented. He filed a complaint on him, and within weeks, they did this to him. And listen, you know, pull somebody over for speeding? Okay, pull him over for speeding, give him a ticket. To handcuff him? You know he's a cop watcher. You know, cop watchers are not the type of people who walk around with guns. We are the type of people that say, let me empty my pockets and my car. Before I get into my car, I take pictures of everything, of how it is, to protect myself in case I do get pulled over. Okay, and there was two cops with one person in the car. It's not like they could say, oh, you know, there were so many people in the car, we need to handcuff them to have control of the situation. There was no reason to handcuff them. They was out of protocol, but it was strictly because it was retaliation, retribution. So they went after him with that. The other night, literally three nights ago, I'm jogging Tony right over here. I was jogging right down by the, I was jogging home from Normandy on, no, I went down to Vermont. I was jogging home. I got back to, I guess it would be just past Western and Sunset. It was like three in the morning. I saw some cops next to a guy getting in the ambulance. Cop didn't have their mask on. So I taped that. Then she saw me. They do a weird thing. They see you taping. Is, is that taco truck still open at three in the morning? No. No. It's, <laughs> it's gone by then. Um, or whatever that yeah, I think they're gone by like between one and two. They're usually gone. Oh, is it? Because the crowds are huge there. The crowds are huge there. I, I can never understand it. I, I still don't understand it. Maybe I'm ordering the wrong thing. <laughs> but I get over to the gas station right before you hit the 101, and I, some, a guy was in, needed help. He needed to make a phone call. He was trying to get in touch with his friend. He was upset. I think they went out for a night partying. They both got drunk and got left. So I was, you know, I didn't want the guy to touch my phone, so I was calling on speakerphone for him. The cops came over and started, pulled into the parking lot and started watching me, then turned on the bright lights on me. This is at that shell. That that shell. So I started walking over towards them and it started just blatantly taping. I'm like, let's see how long I can tape you for you putting your lights on me, you staring me down. Finally, they left. And as I'm jogging home, they kept on going up and down sunset, putting their lights on me. Just stupid harassment, all the way until I got to the police station. All right. Here's what I think. Cops will never scare me, okay? But they will scare other people. And if they're going to do it to me, will they do it to my girlfriend? Will they do it to my mother? Will they do it to your mother, your grandmother, whoever else? It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable for a cop to, when, just because I catch you committing misconduct, that you think you should have the right to harass me or anybody in my community. It's, it's, it can't happen. 
So every time that happens, every single time that happens, I'm gonna write them up. I went to the station yesterday to try to identify, or two days ago, I talked to, Captain, uh, to Sergeant Willers, this is my favorite guy. I screamed at him so many times on videotape, you have no idea. I see him there, I'm like, oh, this guy. He said he's gonna get back to me with the guy's identity. He hasn't yet, it's been four days. You're out there on the streets with people who have been deemed Antifa, which, strangely enough, th that shouldn't be a bad a bad phrase. We should all be against mm -hmm. fascism, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, do you see things out there on the streets that you would like to, if they're listening to this, would like to tell them to keep doing or stop doing? Who, Antifa? Yeah. Oh, they already know. I've had fights with them too many times. Over what? Smashing up windows, smashing things up. I took on 20 of them. I was going to fight 20. I've beaten up a couple of them. I mean, listen, I've had my beast with them too. I've, it's been very well documented. You know, if you're going to come to a march that's supposed to be for like Breonna Taylor, or whatever, don't walk down Hollywood. Don't walk down Bronson and Gower smashing up windows, spray painting all over walls. I don't care. I live here. And you don't do that in the name of black people. Listen, most of these people are white. All right, it, 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 you're, you're smashing shit up in the name of black people. First off, I have always taken that uh, great offense to that because what seems to me what you're saying is when black people are angry, the best way, that, the way they see most fit to handle things is to smash things up. So let's do it with them. No, hey, listen, if a black person wants to go out there and smash it up, that's their business. I'm not for that either, ever. But it's not for you, white kid from Sherman Oaks to go smash shit up. And it's not for you, white kids, to quite honestly, you know, you show up at a protest cursing out the cops. You go, fuck you, cops, you pigs, you pigs. Do you guys do that Monday through Friday every other day? You know, it, I speak the same way I, when you see me talking to a cops anywhere, it's the same way I'll do it at two o'clock in the morning uh, in any back street in, in, in Hollywood or anywhere in fucking LA. I'm the same. Be the same. Don't be like, oh, I'm going to smash shit up on Thursday's protests. Why didn't you smash it up on Wednesday? You felt so bad about smashing things up. So that's what I would say. Don't smash. Don't come. Don't, listen, don't come to black events in the name of black people and smash things up. Final question. The San Diego Sheriff. Have you seen this video? Yeah. What a, what a, what a, he, it, it's not just that I saw it, that he made this video, which is full of shit. All right. Because I'm looking at all these doctors and scientists and say this is impossible, right? But I didn't need that. All I had to do is look at the video. That's not somebody who's, who's overdosing. Are you kidding me? Falling in a controlled way, his lips aren't blue. I mean, I've seen... I, his pupils? I, yeah, listen, I walk Hollywood. I know what overdoses look like. I was at a scene, I was called 911 at a scene four nights ago with a guy who had overdosed. I know this is a common thing. That guy did not overdose. The guy, uh, I, if he did overdose, then he has a drug problem and need to get it treated because he didn't get it through third, some sort of third-party contact. He didn't get it through. You don't think he snorted it? And maybe he did. And if that's the case, we need to uh, really look at what this guy is doing. And Well, first of all, he's a rookie. And, and we've already established that a lot of these people are not the most educated people. Either, either he's just straight up lying or he had a panic attack. And so why do you make a whole video with the, with the piano music playing? I mean, obviously, you make it because you want to say to the public, 
See how much you need us? See how much you need us. See how hard it is to be a cop. See how scary it is to be a cop. See how deadly it is to be a cop. But we all know that if you look at the most deadly uh, professions, the police, I don't even think, rank in the top 20. You know, so it's always looking for sympathy. And of course, if you go and look at all the other police accounts, they all retweeted like, oh, this is so scary. Oh, listen, the Hollywood police, the, the police captain, the same, uh, same guy, he went and retweeted it. But it's a bullshit video. And my thing is, why do the cops always have to lie like this? And this is, and honestly, when I record the cops, I always tell people, you don't have to like fabricate or try to like make a story seem like more than it is. Because the police, all you have to do is tape them and they'll do the rest for you. But, you know, they'll do the rest. I don't have to fabricate it. With them on this, why are you fabricating this? Well, which, is a, which is a great question. Cain's Lou Abel. Human nature is violent and um, rebellious and doesn't want to follow rules. These cats don't want to follow the rules. Lord knows humans don't want to follow rules. So there is a place for police. You would agree with that, yes, right? I do. And so you don't need to pretend that touching this substance is going to, in two seconds, make a, a, a young man fall right over. Oh, if you're very concerned about like fine particle matter and things, invisible things, getting into your system and killing you, fentanyl is probably at the, low, at the bottom of your list. Your number one thing on your list should be COVID and put on a fucking mask. William G., on that note... I thank you so much. Oh my God, wasn't that good? You know what else is good? Our Patreons, who warm our hearts. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, here's a cup of coffee. Here's an Uber ride. Here's a month of hosting the podcast on your website, which is uh, $40 a month if anybody wants to do that. Every dollar you flow our way goes right back into what you're hearing now. And it helps us keep this insane project rolling. So shout out to our Patreons. Nancy Rommelman, Allie Miller, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Emilio, and Jamie Taylor. Want to hear your name at the end of next week's show? Go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts. Here in LA is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and the inventor of the flugelhorn, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Orgone and Jordan Katz. We usually put out new episodes every Monday and Thursday, and we have a detailed corresponding blog that goes with each interview that can be found at hereinla.com. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen Adams for inspiring me to do this in Kim and Oz's backyard, and Jordan for joining forces with me. Don't forget to vote! 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 vote.